It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Nance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, from the lovely Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm joined by the best co-host in the business, Landon Mance from Sin City itself, Las Vegas, Nevada. Landon, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you very much. Looking great today, sir. Always great to see your smiling face, and uh, I'm sure there will be some comments about this goatee and or the shirt that I'm wearing today, but we will we will get to that shortly. Um, so today, if you're listening to the podcast or the radio program for the first time and you're not sure what we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, so we're a radio program and a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. Landon and I are both small business owners. We're also from families that are multi-generational business, small business owners. And so small business really runs in our blood. And we believe that the small business owner and the small businesses in our country are truly the backbone of the American economy. So we decided about a year and a half ago to put together a podcast or a radio program that gives small business owners an opportunity to share their story, to get their, you know, get word out about their business. And so Tycoons of Small Biz was born. So today we are excited to actually have a, a definite tycoon on the show with us today. Thomas and Sarah, chairman and CEO of Integro Bank, is on the show with us today. So Thomas, welcome to the show. Hello, Austin and Landon. Great to see you, Thomas, and uh, we know that you're coming to us live today from uh, Florida. You're there for a conference, I believe, but you're uh, you're based in Arizona, typically, correct? Absolutely, based in Phoenix. Great. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself personally. We always like to start with the personal side, so tell us you know, where you grew up, how you got started in business, maybe where you went to college if you did. Tell us about your family, whatever you'd like to know us to know about you personally, and then that'll kind of lead us into where we where we are today with you starting Integral Bank. Certainly. Uh, born and raised in uh, Pennsylvania. Started working at the uh, ripe age of nine, delivering newspapers at 4.30 in the morning before school. So I, I view that as my first small business job, working for tips, delivering newspapers. And then at age 16, uh, after school and weekends in Pittsburgh, uh, flipped some hamburgers. And the dream was to become the first person in the family to attend and graduate college. So I was saving up my money for years. I was able to go into college at Purdue in the Midwest, the state of Indiana, and ran out of money after my very first semester. And I had to walk to the edge of campus to obtain my third small business job, was able to secure that, working for $5 an hour full-time, put myself through college. So that's my upbringing. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, I think you know, there's some similarities to my own background in there. I I had a paper route when I was younger as well. You went around, you collected the money, you were hoping for tips. You know, you're delivering the the newspapers early on the weekends when you'd rather be out, you know, or you'd rather be sleeping really on the weekends. And so it means that you're in bed earlier the night before all those kinds of things uh, ring true to me for sure. Yeah. I remember every morning it was pitch black. So I had to have a light on the bicycle. And I also remember those metal change makers. So when you were collecting the bill, they didn't have automated bill pay. So you had to walk around the neighborhood to manually collect the bill for the newspaper. If you were lucky and they liked the service, you'd get a tip, but you had to carry those metal change makers with pennies, nickel, dimes, and quarters. Yep, I, I remember it well. So I, I am still trying to figure out, though, how my first job was four twenty-five an hour, but you had a job at five dollars an hour. Well, you and know, hey, I was in college, so I got. I, I think uh, flipping hamburgers. It was uh, two eighty-five an hour when I started flipping burgers. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I tell you, my my kids just don't understand what that was like nowadays. I was talking to my wife about it last night, just thinking, you know, my son today makes as much money as I made when we first got married. And he's essentially working part time. I'm still paying his rent. I'm still paying his tuition. So I'm trying to figure out how he never has any money when, uh, you know, we started our family on that kind of money. But you know, inflation obviously comes into play as well. It's 25 years later or so. That's right. Tell us a little bit about Integro Bank. You know, it's it's a proposed bank at this point. So it's not, you're not, you haven't launched yet as a bank, but, you know, tell us a little bit about what it is that you're, you know, setting out to do, the differentiators. You know, I think everybody thinks, oh, bank, well, banks are all the same, but you're going to tell us that, that they're not. So let's start with uh, the differentiators and kind of what you guys are setting out to do. Well, so Austin, the, the inspiration for launching the bank was actually what we were just spoke, uh, speaking about a, a moment ago, my background, the connection to small business. And fast forward years later, COVID hit, we all went through COVID. And when I was driving through the neighborhood, I was dismayed at how many small businesses were closed down. And, and it seemed to me that Arizona was disproportionately impacted, uh, at least the small businesses were. And I, and I could not really understand it uh, until I started to do some more research. And I learned some really startling things, uh, a few things that stand out. I learned, for example, that small business in Arizona, even Southern California and Nevada, 99% of all the companies in those regions are classified as small business because they have 100 employees or less. But yet, if you add up all the lending activity from all the banks combined, those small businesses get about 4.5% of all the lending activity. So that allowed me to conclude that the small businesses were starved for capital at a time when they most needed capital. And so when you have these periods of economic stress, whether it be recession or even COVID, that's when you see the closure rate for small businesses go up because they just don't have enough cash reserves. And so I dug deeper and I found, for example, in Phoenix, the city of Phoenix has really been 
a victim of its own success in that over the last 25 years, it's been such an incredible growth market that all the banks in the United States have wanted to have a presence in Phoenix. And so the easiest and quickest way for them to enter the market was to buy up all the local banks to the point where there's only four banks left that are locally chartered based in Phoenix. And so with that shortage of banks in a location that's the fastest growing in the country and has the highest concentration of small business, so arguably you have the highest need for banks in this region, but you have the fewest number of banks. So there's a shortage. So that was the inspiration. But when we launched the bank, we also looked around at the um, banking as an industry, and we felt that banking was a commodity, that if you go to any bank website, they all have loans and they all have deposits. So we didn't want to create just another bank. There's plenty of those. What we decided was to offer something that is in short supply, and it's a bank with three key differentiators. I'll I'll summarize them, and then if you want to go into detail on any of these, I can. Mm. But the three unique differentiators for Integro Bank, the first is what we call Integro 360, and it's a unique service offering for small businesses. The second is the Integro CEO Club, and it's an opportunity for small business owners to network with other successful small business owners. And then finally, when you look at the strength of the leadership team and the board and the fact that we now have 48 co-founders of the bank, it's an incredible team. So those are our three primary differentiators. You hit on the banking uh, shortage in Phoenix, but for, for our national audience that are listening to this and don't realize really kind of what's going on in Phoenix, Phoenix is the sixth largest metropolitan area in the country. Right, but there are only two Fortune 500 companies that have a major presence in Phoenix, which is very abnormal, right? To have that large of a city and only have two of 500 Fortune 500 companies, and so Phoenix truly is an area that is built on the back of small business owners, and the fact that they don't have access to lending and capital here in their own area makes it difficult as a small business to really kind of make a go of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're a small business and you're interested in hiring people or growing or you want to buy additional product or supplies, uh, you typically have cash flow challenges. And so it's common for small businesses to seek a banking partner who can supply them with capital to help them grow. And so when you have a lack of capital, it's a growth inhibitor and it's a real challenge for small businesses in this region. Yeah, Thomas. So um, you know, we, we've we've had a couple of calls with you prior to today. So we've we've heard your story. We love your story. We love what you guys, you know, what your vision is for for the bank. And I'll I'll say this before I ask my question. You know, I I used to work for a bank uh, just for a couple of years, but you know, they're one of the one of the or the largest bank in in the nation. And when they when they kind of uh, position uh, their, I'm using air quotes here, their, their advice, it, it is usually uh, just a, a way to get a, a customer to buy an additional product. But what you guys are doing is different. 
And I want to spend a couple minutes and talk about the um, Integro 360 because personally, I think it is just really, really cool. And so I want people to really have a good grasp and an understanding of what it is and what value that it can bring to them and to their business. Because I, I mean, the CEO club, I, I love that idea. Uh, I think that is just super unique. And I think that's a great idea. And we, we spent some time going over your leadership team. And I mean, wow, like your guys' bench is pretty, pretty deep. And I want to talk more about those too, but but what you're doing with this Integro 360, I just think it is so cool because you guys are actually going to be practicing what you're preaching, which is helping, supporting, growing, and, and giving quality advice to business owners. And you're going to help them to, to, to do that through this 360 tool. So talk to us about it, please. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, your, your, uh, your observations and your question are, are very accurate. You know, I've worked at uh, some of the top 20 largest banks in the country. And, you know, it was great training. I enjoyed working there. But one of the things I learned is when you work at a large top 20 bank, it's all about them. Uh, and so they're, when they teach their employees, they teach them about their products and their services and how to push those products and services to the customers, whether they need those or not. And so we, at Integra, we want to completely invert that. It's, it's not about us. It's about the small business. And when you dive into the needs of a small business, it's typically about uh, cash flow management. And so we decided to create this uh, unique offering, which, uh, which we call Integro 360, which is really all about helping to better manage uh, the cash flow for that small business owner. And so it's a proprietary. Uh, eight-step process that we use to do that. So if you'd like, I can walk you through those eight steps quickly, and I think that'll answer your questions uh, in terms of what is Integra 360. Yeah, let's do that, please. So in the first two steps, we send and receive information back and forth to and from the small business owner, because again, we're inverting it. We really want to learn about them. It's not about us pushing particular products and services. And so they'll supply us with their financials, their history, and the information about their company. And because we're a internet uh, technology-based bank, we make it very efficient for small businesses nationally. Even though we're based in Phoenix, we will be able to assist business nationally to submit that information to us electronically. So in steps one and two, we're collecting that information. In step three, we're providing that business owner with value right out of the gate by providing them with free peer data. And this shows that business owner five to seven companies in their same geographic market and in the same industry, how those companies are performing financially. We collect and have access to that information on a blind basis. So we don't tell them what a particular company is doing. But as an industry, we can say things like, here's the growth rate, here's the gross and net profit margins, but we can actually drill down much deeper into the cash flow cycle and look at how that small business in that particular industry, how they're collecting their receivables and how they're turning their inventory. And the small business owner, the reaction is, wow, 
no bank of any size has ever provided us with uh, market data about how the competitors in our business are performing. And then in the fourth step, we do one more thing that no other bank in the country is doing, and that is we will provide that business owner with a complementary business valuation. And the conversation will typically get very interesting, and it would go something like this, that we notice based on the current cash flow of your business that your business is worth about a million dollars today. But you've indicated to us as a bank that your long-term goal for your company is to build up the value over time, over the next 15 to 20 years, so that, say, 20 years down the road, you can sell the company for, say, 15 or 20 million, or maybe hand it off to the next generation. And when they get that information about their current valuation, they're again amazed that no other bank is, is providing that kind of information. And then in steps five and six, the business owner gets very engaged and they get very competitive because what they want to know is based on how their business is performing in its cash flow and looking at what they're valued at today and their long-term goal of increasing the valuation, they look for strengths and weaknesses of how their company is performing relative to their competitors. So for example, we might say that their business that they own is turning their receivables every 70 or 80 days, but all of the businesses in their market are actually turning their receivables every 30 days. And because they have superior free cash flow, their competitors are able to reinvest that free cash flow and they have sustainable growth rates. The competitors have sustainable growth rates in the industry of 10 to 12% growth rates per year. But because this particular company has less cash flow, they're only able to grow at one to 2% per year. So that we've helped that business owner realize that what's holding back their growth is the way that they're viewing and managing cash flow. And so having access to this competitor data in this business valuation tool gives them a way to see the strengths and weaknesses of how they're managing their business. And then what we find is that business owner really wants a feedback loop because they want to meet with us monthly or quarterly so that we can help them evaluate their performance relative to their peers, because what they really want to know every month, are they getting further ahead or are they falling further behind compared with their peers? And then finally, in the seventh and eighth steps uh, from that feedback loop that we help set up with that business owner, uh, we notice that it starts to have an impact over time. And now when I say we, my team and I, uh, implemented an earlier beta version of this at the last bank that I led in Southern California. And we implemented an analog version of this. It was not technology enabled. It was not delivered over the internet. But we found that a high percentage of the business owners that had access to this market data and this business valuation data, they were very successful at being able to increase their growth rate, their profitability, the valuation of their company, 
And some of the successes were overwhelming. We had dozens of companies that ultimately were able to sell their business, even though they started as really small businesses, perhaps out of their garage. But over time with this feedback loop, they were selling at prices ranging from 50 million to 200 million once they sold. Now, the interesting thing is after they completed this eight-step process, it was great for the small business owners because they were able to successfully grow, increase the, the net worth of both the company and themselves. But once they sold for, say, $100 million, they approached that bank that we were at in California and said, hey, now that I've sold the company, I'm thinking of retiring and I need some help investing those assets. But that particular bank did not have any private banking or wealth management services. And so it uncovered kind of a, what I viewed as a flaw in their business model. But an Integro Bank, in addition to taking that eight-step process to the next level by putting it on the internet and introducing some technology, which makes it easier and more convenient for the business owner, allows us to reach more small businesses throughout the country, but we also intend on offering a private banking and wealth management solution so that we can help those customers even after they successfully grow. So a couple, couple quick follow-up questions. What you just described there, it would seem to me that somebody that was going to uh, manage that process for a client needs to have probably a, a particular skill set. So who is going to be responsible for, for, for managing that process with clients so that they can help them successfully transition from one, you know, one step to the next. Wow. So you, you have very quickly zeroed in on part of the secret sauce. So it's not only providing access to the peer data and the valuation, but it's helping that business owner truly understand what that information means and what they can do with it. And so what we found was the single biggest challenge when we went through this five-year beta period in California is that none of the bankers that we had at the bank at the time were really equipped. So we, we really had to start over and, and train our bankers. We, we, we put them through a series of Wall Street prep type courses so that they could think more like consultants and advisors in helping the business owner grow their company and maximize their valuation. Now, those are skills that um, most bankers don't have. So when we went to build this bank, you know, I was able to successfully recruit a lot of those early pioneers that helped us roll this out uh, at the last bank. But we have to spend an awful lot of time, energy, and effort in providing that custom training as we recruit new bankers. And so that creates a high barrier of entry and explains why you don't really have a lot of other banks doing this. That bank in Southern California is the only other bank I know of in the United States that has an offering that's anything like Integra 360, but they were delivering it in an analog paper intensive process. And we're the only bank that's leveraging the power of the internet and technology to deliver this to customers. Mm -hmm. And will this be available to any small business customer or do they have to have some kind of a 
specified relationship with you guys? Yeah, we ask um, that they have one of two relationships. We actually, when we do our investor presentations for people who are interested in becoming shareholders of our new bank, that shareholders who invest will have access to this Integra 360 service, as well as the customers of the bank. So we would ask that you either become an investor in the bank or a customer of the bank. And then at that point, you'll have under either of those cases, complimentary access to that Integra 360 service. All right, one, one final question on here and I'll kick it back to Austin. What does a typical time frame look like for, so let's say, you know, I, I come in and uh, I say, hey, I, I, I love what your guys are doing. I'd like to be one of your guys's customers, you know, or clients. And you guys say, great. And, and I get onboarded and now I get assigned to, uh, to Thomas and Thomas is going to be my banker. And we, we're going to go through this process together. What, what kind of expectations do you guys set just from a time frame perspective? Because I'm sure people are kind of curious about that. Well, since at the last bank, we had uh, implemented this over a five-year period, I, I do have uh, a wide range of answers. There were some customers that immediately after receiving the presentation, it was impactful and it started to have an impact. But in terms of being truly impactful where their business valuation started to really increase considerably, I would say the range was anywhere from 18 months to, to five years. And over that time frame, we're, we're talking about uh, massive increases in their growth rates, their profitability, their valuations. We had dozens and dozens of success stories of companies selling from 50 million to 200 million dollars. And when we first started, I remember a husband and wife team launching a company out of their garage that in, in their case, three years later, they sold their business for 110 million dollars after going through this intensive monthly counseling on what were the things that they needed to focus on to manage that hyper level of growth. So um, it, it varies with every company, uh, but it's, it can be anywhere from a few months. I would give it a good 18 months to up to five years. Yeah, so I'll just jump in here. I, I, I really feel like we have to drive this point home. I don't, I don't think that consumers or business owners even realize the differentiator that this is. Right. I mean, the reality is most banks, they want to see your tax returns. They want to see your profit and loss. They want to see your balance sheet. And they're going to make a decision on whether or not they want a lending relationship with you. And that's it. Right. And the reality is what you guys are doing is more like a partnership with these small business owners to help them grow. You're not just doing it out of the goodness of your heart. Right. Because by doing that, you then have a better successful relationship with this, those small business owners as well going forward, right? They're going to need more lending. There's going to be more deposits on the book. There's going to be lower default rates. There's going to be an opportunity to help them manage the wealth when they sell their business. There's all these things that are still in it for you. But I think the reality is you've keyed in on something that these banks just don't fully understand from a small business standpoint. And like you said, they're not going to put in the effort and the time and the money to invest in that sort of a setup because they're 
for lack of a better term, fat and happy today to lend to the large organizations that pay on time, that lend, you know, tens and tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to these large organizations. And it works for them, you know, from a bottom line standpoint. And why change it if it's not broken? You know, you're right. I, I think it's a difference in the market between needs versus wants. And what I find is most small business owners, when they first open up a bank account, they're, they're acting on needs. You know, I need a checking account to get started and I need to uh, meet my payroll and, and write checks to pay people. So I have to have a checking account or, or I need a loan because I want to buy a piece of equipment or I want to buy a piece of property. And so when you're in need and, and you view your, your banking as a need, uh, well, every bank competes as a commodity. And so now it's really just down to who has the best price and, and, and maybe turnaround time or service. But when it comes to a want, it's a more sophisticated business owner that's thinking, you know, what do I really want to do with this business? How long do I want to own it? What's my exit strategy? What kind of value do I want to create in this company? What's my legacy? Do I want to hand this off to the next generation? Do I want to sell the business? What's the valuation going to be when it sells 5, 10, 20 years? What's it worth today? And what's the path you know, between those two points? How do I grow the business valuation? So those are wants. And if you start having those kind of conversations, all the other banks in town are going to say, well, you know, we don't really have any uh, consultative services to help you in that area. So this is really a, a customized offering, depending on each uh, entrepreneur's wants, what, what's their vision for their company. And it's a true partnership. I think you're absolutely right about that. And so Integro 360 was built from the ground up from the viewpoint of the small business owner on an individualized basis. How can we help the owners of that company uh, succeed? Yeah. So from here, I want to pivot to what I would call the next level uh, to that consultative thing. And that's, you know, Integro CEO club and, and what that really does for a business owner. But before we do that, let's take a quick break and we'll, we'll uh, share a quick call to action for those listeners of, uh, of Tycoons of Small Biz. Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, welcome back Tycoons. You got Austin Peterson and Landon Mance here, co-hosts of Tycoons of Small Biz. And we've got a tycoon on the program today with us, uh, Thomas and Sarah with Integral Bank. So as you heard on our call to action, you, you don't have the corner on a, a free business valuation. That's something that we've done for a while, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's not often that a bank does that. But the reality is a lot of what Landon and I do in our day job is some of the things that you're going to offer through the bank because the banks weren't offering it. We're helping our customers or our clients to be able to interact with a bank the way that they should be interacting with a bank. So uh, honestly, I think it's a, a refreshing thing that you guys are doing here. And Part of that is the Integro CEO Club. And so, you know, before we talk about that, I'll just kind of 
lay the groundwork. So Landon and I are both members of Vistage Worldwide. You've probably heard of Vistage. And I would call Vistage basically a CEO club as well, where we're meeting on a monthly basis or more often with other owners of small businesses. And what's unique and great about it is that you have an opportunity to almost have your own board of advisors there to give you feedback on things that you may not be thinking about or that you're missing. And they're doing it in a completely unbiased manner because they have no stake in the game. Right. And so, I, you know, I think Integro CEO club is doing something similar, but tell us a little bit more about Integro CEO club and why you think it's super important, excuse me, for the clients of the bank. Sure. Yeah. Vistage is a good example. There are other uh, CEO clubs and I think they all add value. The way I think about our CEO club, the first thought that comes to my mind is the term blind spots. Every business owner has blind spots, whether they know it or not. And the advantage of um, affiliating with some type of a CEO club is you get access to people who have been there and done that and they're more seasoned and they can help you see and overcome uh, your blind spots. They will help you become a business, a better business owner and more successful. And so, but one of the key differences uh, at the Integro CEO Club is that it's complimentary. And some of these CEO clubs can be pretty pricey. So it's just an extra service that we've decided to have as part of our offering that if you're either a shareholder or a customer, you're going to have access to these CEO club events. And so a typical event would be a CEO that we ask to come in as a, as a guest speaker. And, it, uh, and they're going to talk about, for example, how they were able to successfully increase the value of their company from a, a two-person startup founded in a garage to you know, a $100 million business. What, what were some of the, the uh, challenges that they had along the way that they were able to overcome? And in that presentation, these other CEOs who are now participating it in, in that uh, group setting might hear and learn about uh, challenges uh, that they are in the process of overcoming. And they can then enter into private conversations with those CEOs. So it's just a great learning experience, a great uh, networking opportunity. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, honestly, for, for me, and I won't speak for Landon, but I at Vistage, having a guest speaker, I think, is many times inspiring. And it's great to hear you know different things that they're doing out there. And it helps you to kind of think about things that you could be doing differently. But the biggest value for me or for me is from the other CEOs and the other business owners where they're giving me feedback on something that I'm dealing with, or we're giving another business owner feedback on something that they're dealing with, where we're looking at anything that they're trying to figure out inside of their business from about every angle that you possibly could look at it from, and then give them feedback and action steps to go out and actually take action the next day which is really tough to, to get, right? I mean, even to, you can hire consultants and pay them a bunch of money, come in, and a lot of times they're going to hand you a book of, you know, a book this thick and they're going to walk out the door and say, okay, implement it. But the reality is we're giving the actual action steps and then they're being accountable to us the following meeting, which I think is a huge value that comes from these CEO clubs. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll find uh, a common trait among a lot of the successful CEOs is a, 
a lifetime commitment to learning. And so this is just another platform to help uh, any business owner that wants to get to the next level to continue learning from, from others. Yeah, absolutely. And were you going to say something? No, yeah, I, I just, I, I was going to just pivot to the next uh, topic here because, you know, Thomas, something I've been, I, I just been thinking about the last minute or two as you were talking, and I, I, I can't recall if you have shared this with us before, but I know you, you've had a really successful career as a banking executive, but is this your first, you know, brand new venture, you know, as far as like starting up a business from scratch or, or have you done this before? Well, that, that's a great question. Uh, so I do have 35 years of experience in uh, small, medium, and large banks. So a, a lot of banking experience. However, I really view myself more as a frustrated technologist than I do as a banker. And, and, and to answer your question more succinctly, this is my fifth uh, fintech startup. And just as a quick example, my most recent uh, fintech startup I was the CEO of a publicly traded international fintech where the uh, team that I recruited and I were successful at increasing the market cap of the company by 740% in a two-year period. So if you go back and look at my fintech experience, the common trait was uh, four prior companies that were all technology-enabled businesses that really leveraged technology to the fullest. We brought out innovative new products and services, and each of the four really grew uh, significantly at, the, at rapid paces. Uh, so what I'm trying to do is merge the two. Um, I think the banking industry has been a slow adopter of technology, and there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for banks to make better use of technology to better serve customers, and in this case, small businesses. And to illustrate that, I'll, I'll take you back 21 years ago. Um, I worked at a company uh, named Accenture who recruited me to Singapore. And I was fortunate enough to lead a team that invented and deployed among the world's very first mobile telephone banking solutions. If you wanted to bank on a mobile telephone, we actually invented that 21 years ago. And when we showed it to the world's largest banks, they said it was the coolest thing that they ever saw, but they passed because they said that the world will never bank on a mobile telephone. Mm -hmm. And so here we are 21 years later, banks have finally figured out, well, of course people will, will bank on a cell phone. And, and what always interested me is that here in the United States, I think it's something like 93% of the population has a cell phone, but probably only 30, 35, or 40% have bank accounts. So if you wanna increase your market share as a banker, you gotta figure out how to uh, provide banking services using technology with the cell phone. So the fact that banks had that opportunity to do that 21 years ago, and purposely chose not to, just shows that they're not early adopters. They kind of don't really fully understand technology. So I'm hoping that we have the opportunity to change that and to be among uh, the innovators in the banking industry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think kind of the, the, the intent of that question was, 
you know, was going to kind of lead into a segue around, you know, your capital raise. And we'll tell, you, you can tell us a little bit about your investor portal, because I know that that's a big part of what you guys are doing right now is you're, you're out there, you know, gathering investors and raising capital uh, with a projected launch date. Uh, if my memory serves me right, we're looking at quarter one of next yeah. year, is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're planning on opening in March. Yeah, got it. Okay, got it. Yeah, so my question was going to kind of be around just what is that experience, you know, been, been like, you know, going out there and, and raising capital? I'm sure a lot of the, the listeners, uh, you know, to the show can, can certainly appreciate that, that, that grind and that, uh, that, uh, that commitment to, to getting where you want to go. So if there's any thoughts you want to share on that, we'd love to hear them. Uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, let's tell us a little bit about your, your investor portal. And I know you've got some different, different avenues that people can invest through. Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. So fortunately, you know, having been the CEO and um, launched uh, four prior fintechs, I, I do have a lot of uh, capital raising experience. I've raised uh, cumulatively well over a hundred million. Uh, but I have to tell you, um, because of the changes in the market and in technology, how we're going about raising capital today is, you know, much different than, than when I first got into the business. Uh, but the short answer to your question is, uh, yes, we're in the middle of a capital raise campaign. Our objective was to raise a minimum of 27 million and a maximum of uh, 52 million. And we've, we've just launched, uh, you know, a few a short time ago. And we're proud to say that uh, of all the commitments that we have so far in the aggregate, that we're about 29 million. So we believe that if everybody actually funds all of their commitments, that we believe that we have a sufficient amount to, to open the bank and, and meet the minimum. And we're actually now as a management team uh, focused, we're, we're all overachievers. So we're focused on the maximum of 52 million around. And that's what's taken up most of our time. And in fact, that's, as you stated at the beginning of the show, why I'm in Florida uh, meeting with some investors and at a conference uh, raising money nationally. But what's changed, um, Landon, to answer your question, is we decided to leverage uh, some of the technology that's out there in the crowdfunding world. You know, there's a lot of uh, companies that will raise money with crowdfunding, but Typically in the crowdfunding world, people might be investing really micro amounts, you know, $100, $500. But we've been able to use that technology. So when people actually go to our website at integrobank.com and they click the icon that says become an investor, they can review the um, private offering agreement. All, we have an electronic due diligence room. So all the information you would typically want to collect about a company you know, is disclosed there. And you can actually sign the subscription agreement online. You can transfer your money online. And literally in about two minutes, after you've done your research of all this information, in two minutes, you can go online and become a shareholder in the bank. And perhaps the most interesting thing that's on our website that relates to the capital raise is we built an additional app and, and we think we're among 
the first, if not the first bank, where you can go on our website and invest uh, using your IRA. And most people didn't realize that they can access their IRA money to invest in a bank startup. And so by going on our website and saying, yes, I'd like to invest using my IRA, there's, a, there's additional questions uh, that you have to fill out online. But in about 10 minutes, people can go through the process and about 40% of our investors, and I, and I think, Landon, I think that's why a big part of why we've been able to raise so much capital in such a short period of time I think it's partly because we have a strong management team, we have a good value proposition for investors, but we've made it so easy online to go through the process of actually becoming an investor uh, in two minutes if you're a cash investor or 10 minutes if you're an IRA investor. That convenience has really helped translate into uh, a rapid uh, capital raise for us. Yeah, that's great. So you made a, you made a comment that uh, triggered something. I recently changed my banking relationship. One of, one of the businesses that I have, I changed my banking relationship from a large, large national bank to a significantly smaller local bank. And I'm going to switch again because what happened is that I got used to um, certain technologies and Switching over to this smaller bank, uh, the, the technologies are, are not there on the desktop or the mobile app. And so uh, I'm now going to figure out where I'm going to go next. I don't know if I'll go back to, uh, to a big bank or not. I, I'd like to do something, you know, supporting the small business community. But my, so my, my question is, how are you guys going to, to compete from a technology standpoint, uh, specifically mobile banking with some of these you know, firms that have billions of dollars to put into their, into their app. I agree. I think our observation of the marketplace is that most banks are in one of two categories. You have the top 20 large banks that have invested heavily in some of the online applications. But if you ever need any kind of customized service or need to talk with someone and you're a small business owner, you're just not going to get the service that you need. So your choice at a large bank is you might have access to some of the, the cool and latest internet tools, but you just don't really have the level of service that you need. So a lot of people will switch to the second type of bank, which is a small community bank, but typically because they don't either have the expertise or they haven't invested in the right technology. Um, they find that some of the smaller community banks lack a sufficient level of sophistication in their technology offerings. So we've placed ourselves between those two in what we call a hybrid model. So because we're starting from scratch and you look at the strength of the technology team that we've recruited who have worked with the larger banks, we're able to deploy the latest and greatest technology, all and more that all the large banks have. But interestingly, the top 20 banks, most of their technology platforms were put in place 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we refer to them as the older legacy systems. And they don't necessarily have the latest and greatest anymore. 
Um, however, as a brand new bank, we're able to put in best in breed and all the technology offerings. So we think that we'll have a superior level of service compared with the large billion dollar banks. Now on the small community banks, they're historically known for their customer service and being able to get to know their customers. And that's why I refer to it as a hybrid model. When you heard our discussion of Integro 360, our bankers are required to really get to know and understand the needs of that business. And they need to do that in order to give them um, accurate advice on how to improve the cash flow and to maximize the value creation in that business. And so by offering this customized, tailored, really understanding the needs of your customer service combined with the sophisticated technology, we think that we've got the best in class above. I like it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to looking forward to seeing uh, and experiencing that, that technology and, and certainly uh, uh, the other complimentary services. I think that uh, just what you guys are doing is just so cool and so unique. And um, I think that uh, business owners are going to really gravitate towards this type of model because I think you're you're a hundred percent accurate. Obviously, you have way more banking experience than I do, but you know, working for one of the largest banks, and is and now that we've been in this interesting you know environment with COVID, you can't even get somebody on the phone let alone actually walk into a bank and sit down with somebody and, and have a discussion with them if you need some kind of service. So, and I'll make one, one comment. You can tell me what your thoughts are on this. So 20 years ago, you pitched this idea to the banks and they said, you know, thanks, but, but no thanks. And I would argue that if we had this same conversation in 20 years from now, I'm going to bet you, 90 to 100% of our banking needs, transactions, relationships are going to be, are going to be virtual. What do you think? Yeah, I think we, we, we don't even know what all the changes are going to be. I came across an entrepreneur the other day as a quick example that claims to have uh, recently received a patent that will allow people to bank over their tele, uh, over their uh, TV. And so his idea is to make every TV in America a new bank branch where you, instead of just doing it on your phone or your laptop, now you can actually bank and you can pay people. You can point your remote control at your TV and say, yeah, send that person 20 bucks. And so I think there's a lot of new technologies that we can't even think about that, that'll come out uh, over the next 20 years. Yeah, interesting. You know, when I when I worked out of an actual branch, um, I mean, most of the most of the customers that actually walked into the branch, the majority of them were, you know, let's say over the age of maybe fifty or sixty. But uh, you know, the reason I make that prediction is because as as you know, people continue to get older in twenty years from now those people that are coming into the banks, they might not you know, be around to come into the banks any longer. And the, the, the generation of people that are up and coming these days, I mean, certainly my generation and the generations below me, we don't, we don't go into the bank ever, unless it is 
absolutely necessary, which it very, very rarely is unless you're dealing with some unique circumstance and you have to sit down with someone and, you know, and figure something else, figure something out. But I mean, we're, we just don't go into banks. Now that, that gives us a, first off, that observation is very accurate, but that gives us another competitive advantage. All of the banks that are existing have these large branch infrastructures all over the country, but with fewer and fewer, if any, people coming in. So that's a cost infrastructure that they don't really need. So they're starting to close a lot of these branches, but it's very costly, it drains their profits. But as an internet-based bank starting from scratch, we have one required location that the government says we have to have, and then that's it. And we actually anticipate having the capability of being able to uh, lend nationally uh, over the internet. So we have a very low cost structure compared with our uh, bank competitors. Yeah, absolutely. I just, you know, the technology stuff, I, I just think back and, you know, my kids are 21 and 18. And the reality is they've never been alive when smartphones were not around. You know, I mean, they've never not had a smartphone. And I just don't think they understand how quickly technology has advanced during their lifetime, which is crazy. And, and it's nice to see that you guys are doing that in the, in the banking industry. So unfortunately, we're out of time. I feel like we could go into about 14 different more topics that are, that are really, really important to small businesses that you guys are going to help to solve. But we have to end at this point. So let me just throw it back to you. You can throw out the website of the, of the uh, bank for the investor portal and that sort of thing, as well as any way that you'd like people to get a hold of you going forward. Yeah, Austin and Alanda, thank you. It was an incredible uh, time today. People can check us out at integrobank.com. And if you want to reach me, it's really easy to remember. My email is CEO at integrobank.com. All right. Well, we really appreciate. Oh, sorry. I, I, we really appreciate the conversation, Thomas. It's been enlightening. We appreciate the relationship that we've built in a short period of time with you, and look forward to staying in touch. Landon, what did you want to say at the end there? Yeah. No, I just echo what you said there, and just say that, Thomas, you you've really made yourself available to to people to talk to. You're really easy to get in touch with. Very responsive. So. Uh, if there's anybody out there that uh, wants to get in touch with Thomas, I, I promise you he uh, he's uh, he's open to having a conversation, and he's he'll he'll get he'll get he'll get back with you soon. So, Thomas, really enjoyed the conversation, and we are very excited to uh, watch and and uh, follow along with your guys' continued success, and and we're rooting for you, and can't wait to see how things uh, come about here in the next few months. Thank you, guys. Hey, it's all about helping small business. We appreciate the opportunity for being on the show. Thank you. Great. Thanks again, Thomas. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.